Amen, amen. Hey, good morning, City Light. Glad to see all of you here. Thanks for coming uh, here to Anchor Point Elementary on a Sunday morning. My name is Glenn. If you don't know me, I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm very excited for this morning because our church is in the middle of a sermon series in the book of Ephesians. So if you brought your Bible this morning, Get it out, get your device, whatever will get you in the Word of God. I want you to find the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. This is a book written, a letter per se, written by the Apostle Paul. And it's directed to a young church that he spent, I don't know, three, four years with. He showed up in this metropolitan city of Ephesus that honestly back in that time could resemble Omaha in a lot of ways. And he raises up disciples, he installs pastors and elders, and then he leaves. And he's writing this from house arrest. And uh, man, the thing that we love about Ephesians, it's been a blessing to our church thus far, is Ephesians is a really clean little book. It's split into two sections where the first section, the first three chapters of Ephesians is, is really this massive uh, declaration of who people are in Christ. Like when you bow your knee to Jesus, you place your faith in him as Savior and Lord, a lot of things change about who you are. Uh, the second half of Ephesians, the second half of the book is really, okay, what's the overflow of that? How, how do I take who I am in Christ and, and actually now live that out? And so in particular, the section that we've been in for the last few weeks, um, do I sound like I'm in a fishbowl a little bit or sound okay? Um, I don't really know how to fix that, so God give us grace. Okay, uh, so here's the thing. We're in what's called the household codes. So you're gonna see in Ephesians chapter six, there's a, a section where Paul jumps in and he starts talking about wives and husbands and then he turns and he talks about parents and children and now this morning he's going to turn and he's going to talk about what is the modern day equivalent of what we would find to be employers and employees your work life let me just ask a question city light an open-ended rhetorical question to start our time together um, when you think about your job what do you think about some stay-at-home moms in the room just twitched a little bit when i said that um, We've got folks in the room who manage people. We have folks in the room who are managed by people. There are people here at City Light Bennington who are blue collar, people who are white collar. We're a professionally diverse church and um, working towards something, be it a job on payroll or not, um, it's something we all have in common. Like every day we're always putting our hand to some kind of plow and, and moving something forward and committing ourselves to some kind of endeavor and doing something like that, we will actually on average spend over 100,000 hours in our life working. Um, if you didn't do the math right there on the spot, that's literally like over a third of the average life is spent working. Um, and there, there's different ways that we kind of think about work. There's some people in the room this morning who, let's be honest, you, you, kind, of, you kind of worship work a little bit. Uh, there's maybe a level of identity and a, a rule of, of, of measure for the value of your life that you associate with what you do. Maybe work is the thing that kind of pulls you in. It, it pulls you in and consumes you in maybe such a way that it, it costs your family, it costs your spouse, your kids. Um, unfortunately, in, in our culture, uh, a lot of children are affected by work. It can cause divorce. Work can cause mom and dad to come home frustrated and exhausted and Children get kind of the worst when people at the job get the best of, of mom and dad. Um, you might be a person in the room that you have a sense of pride that's good towards your work, but 
Maybe it's been twisted and poisoned a little bit in such a way that you look at other people who do not work as hard as you do, are not as accomplished as you are, and there's subtle prejudice in you. Um, you, you might be a person in the room, you did not even need me to bring up work this morning for it to be on your mind. And I want to let you know we have a care ministry that can help you with your addiction, okay? Now, you may be on the other side of that, though. Maybe you're someone here in the room, you kind of underemphasize work. You would view your work as far less significant than God himself views it. Work is just kind of a necessary evil to get through the paycheck so we can cover the bills and get some spending money. Work is really only bad all the time. It's kind of just our lot in life. We don't like it. And really the idea of work is to get to a place where you don't have to work. Uh, maybe you're a person in the room, you're like, I don't like the people I work with. Uh, you're not driven. doesn't feel fulfilling. The list goes on. Some of y'all are ready to leave right now because you came here and the one thing you did not want to talk about was the job you hate. And now your pastor wants to have a conversation about it. Okay. We've got people all over the place. The thing I love about God's word is that it does inform all of life. There isn't anything in our human experience that it does not come to bear on. Our text this morning is going to shine light on our work. And I've given it a very simple title. It's called Jesus at Your Job. Jesus at Your Job. And here's where we're going. First, I want to help bring this passage into our context because here in a moment, when we read it together, it can feel very distant, maybe irrelevant, and even confusing. And second, um, I want to demonstrate to you from the passage that your work is a God thing. That God created work, he honors it, it serves him, and it bears witness to him how we work. Um, If you're not yet a Christian here this morning, I believe this will be a compelling picture of how people relate to one another in the workplace. I hope you'll begin to understand that by being reconciled to God and having your sin forgiving and having, having an ongoing interactive relationship with God, it really does actually bring significant eternal meaning and purpose to everything in your life. Um, So let's read our passage together, beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Here's what Paul writes. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, first thing I want to do this morning, church, is I want to name the elephant in the room. We are 21st century Americans. So when we open our Bibles and we read these words, it can feel problematic when some translations say, and indeed the original translation of doulos means slaves. My translation says bondservants. You may have a translation in front of you that says slaves. And here's the thing with that word slaves and the word slavery. We've seen the movies. We've read the history books. We are embarrassingly and ashamedly familiar with the horrors and evils of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, We we understand that you were three-fifths of a human being if you were African in America, and and the evil of racism was largely at the root. You were trapped. You were brought here like an animal or a piece of farm equipment. You were beaten. You were oppressed. So let me offer some help here. 
Rome existed not 150 years ago, but 2,000 years ago. Their slave trade was not one that was based on ethnicity, but really more of economy. Um, if you were to just go to Ephesus and, and walk through Ephesus, there would be people of multiple ethnicities, both as slaves and slave masters. And get this, more than 35% of the entire Roman Empire was made up of bond servants. Um, the reasons for this kind of slavery were many. If, if famine was at hand and someone was really poor and they would literally say, I won't survive this. My children will not survive this uh, unless I give our family over to indentured servitude to work for a wage and obtain housing. Um, I'll, I'll contract myself for X amount of years uh, and then I'll be free. Uh, it would also be if the poor needed a loan. They took that from somebody who had a wealthy business. They ended up not being able to pay that loan back. Part of the punishment for that was you're going to come and now be my slave, my bond servant, and you're going to work off your debt until it's paid and then you can be free. If Rome, as an empire which we know was brutal, if they conquered another people group, they would be weaved into the very economic fabric of the empire. None of this takes away from the fact that abuse and oppression and brutality and violence were a part of that. In fact, I, I want to speak to that though. Here's what we know about our God. He brings liberty and freedom to people. Um, the people of God, the people of Israel, were abused and oppressed in Egypt. Way back in, in the story of Exodus, near the beginning of your Bible, and God came and showed his power and freed them from the bonds of slavery. Not only that, but the language of the Bible tells the story of a world in which men and women are spiritually enslaved. We are in bondage, and Jesus, when he proclaimed what he came to do, it was to set the captives free. It was to free us from sin's penalty, to free us from its power. It was to free us from the influence of the demonic and the evil one. It was to free us from the pull of the world. And what Paul understands in his context is that the gospel will change the heart and thus, the relationship of bondservant and master. Paul is not writing this as a commentary on whether or not slavery is just or unjust. He is writing this to show us that even though nothing changes externally in the empire, institutions and laws and authorities don't change, the church in Rome would be a presence that would live a different picture after they've come to saving faith in Jesus. And what would have rocked Greco-Roman culture in the first century is the conviction that all people are created in the image of God. All people have equal worth, dignity, value. All people, no matter their ethnicity, their class, their appearance, their geography, where they come from, their place in authority or under authority, were fearfully, wonderfully made as God's masterpiece. All people were stamped by God the crown jewel of his work. And then Jesus would come on the scene. And in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we, we see Jesus move toward sinful people. We see Jesus move toward the racially marginalized. We, we see him move toward the outcast. We see him move toward the poor. And then John, Jesus' best friend, would write a revelation of a prophetic nature of what's to come in heaven for us as Christians, what's to come in the world and what does he tell us about Revelation? He says that represented at the feast and at the party and worshiping alongside one another, singing holy, holy, holy to Jesus is people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every walk of life. The ground is equal. 
at the foot of the cross for repentance. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. The ground is equal for the grace of God. There's no such thing as a person owning another person. What would have rattled people in the first century is that the slave and master together serve one Lord. I mean, this is a sermon in and of itself, church. The slave, the slave, the house slave, and the master serve one Lord. They would be told by Paul, hey, look at each other. You are equal. You are brother and sister in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you think slavery would last with that kind of worldview? No. I love how Brian Chappell puts it. He's an author. He says, with inspired wisdom, the apostle enables the gospel to progress in a society that approves slavery while planting seeds for its destruction. So that's just hurdle number one I wanted to get over. Now, how can this passage meet us today? The most helpful parallels in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, slaves, masters, bond servants, masters, is that of employee and employer. It's people who exercise authority and people who are underneath authority. It has to do with our relationship with work and our relationship with our co-workers. And so the first point I want to make this morning is this. God creates work and he gives it meaning. God creates work and gives it meaning. Let me take us all the way back to the beginning where God himself does what? He works. God works. He models work. He models labor to us. In Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Did you know that when God viewed the fruit of his labor, he called it very good? He took inventory of his work. He delighted in the outcome. It was much like many of us will take our hat, sweaty, right, wipe it across our brow, hands on the hips, Take a look at our freshly cut lawn. Take inventory of it. That looks really good. Amen? Many of you have been there. Some of you are using riding lawnmowers, though, so I don't really want to hear you talk about your work. Um, <laughs> not only that, but work was present in the Garden of Eden before the curse of sin ever came into this world. Did y'all know that work is a really good thing? Work is a part of our, our being as image bearers of God. It's a part of our function as human beings on this earth given by God. In fact, the psalmist declares this in Psalm chapter 8, starting in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And here's it. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So what does this mean? It means that our jobs and the things we do are godly. Stay-at-home moms, retirees, community volunteers, this is for you too. All the work that we engage in, whether or not we are on someone's payroll, is godly. It's God-given, and it's ours to steward and to manage. It's not something that we own, church. Can we understand that? Like, what we do is not something that we own. It's something that God owns, and he has given to us to steward. In Greek culture, work was despised. And, and the goal of being successful was getting to the point where you never had to do any work. And this is not, did you hear me? 
This is not the economy of God's kingdom. Work is honorable. Work and labor are good and godly. Ephesians 2.10, right before where we are in this passage, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so if this is true, which it is, it means our work should be productive. We should look at our work. Like you should look at your job with a sense of positivity. Um, we should give thanks for it. We, we should care about its outcome. We should be satisfied with the progress that we're making. So let me just encourage you this morning, whoever you are, Whatever your occupation, whatever it is that you put your hands and your labor toward, you may be in the persuasion that your spiritual life is distinct from your work life. That has to end. Your work life is spiritual because a spiritual person is engaged in it. And a God created it. The one true God. It's all spiritual. Additionally, you may be tempted to think that your work is insignificant. I wouldn't ask for a show of hands, but I think a lot of us this morning, we look at our job, we think about how insignificant it feels. That would make us feel insignificant. Um, all of us are tempted in this way. Can I just tell you about my own life? Um, I'm not giving you this resume to impress you because, trust me, it won't. Uh, I've worked as a janitor for a church. I've worked as a janitor for a, um, a dentist office. Uh, I've worked as a pizza delivery driver. I've worked as a drive-through employee at a rib joint. Um, I worked for two years in college at Walmart. Um, I, I can understand sometimes the feeling of like, what is the point here? Like, yes, I get my paycheck, but what's the significance of this? Where is this taking me? Who is this helping? Is this significant? And I just want to encourage you to say it matters. Your work is significant. It has purpose. Would you zoom out for a moment? Your participation in whatever you're doing as a job right now, Christian, it's actually helping real people. It's meeting real needs. It's pushing an economy forward. It's helping folks put food on the table. It's helping to care for families. It's helping to bless the next generation. Human flourishing, which God cares deeply about, is happening because of your participation in work if everybody dropped out from the corporate leader down to the janitor, to the teacher, to the stay-at-home mom, to the community volunteer, our world would be a hot mess. God created work and gives it meaning. But now I want to show you the instruction that we find in our passage. Um, here's the point I want to make. Your work serves God and it shows the gospel. Your work serves God and shows the gospel. In other words, how you go about work says a lot about who you're really working for, and it says a lot about what you really believe. So first, Paul is going to address you if you're in any kind of role that is under authority. Like, we got people in the room right here. Maybe you have a coach, you have a teacher, you might have a job, a manager, um, a boss, a director, whatever it might be. Um, here's what Paul's going to say. Before we jump into it, I just want to say this. Um, I think it's a, an important caveat. God does not want you in a job that's going to lead you into immoral decisions nor does God want you in a job that will force you into silence and shame as a Christian, nor does God want you in a job where your job will become an idol of worship and dominate your life at the cost of everyone else around you. But with that being said, I want us to survey how we ought to work. In Ephesians 6 verse 5, he says, Bondservants, obey 
your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. That word obey, uh, it means to follow instructions eagerly. In the original language, it's how we get our word acoustics because it means to hear under. If you think about that, it means to communicate clearly, to seek an understanding of your task at hand, to ask questions about it, to be invested in the work. Paul says in this verse, do it with fear and trembling. Let me just make it crystal clear. Um, No, that does not mean that you should show up to work every day fearing job loss from your boss, okay? Nor does it mean you need to be shaking in his or her presence, all right? Fear and trembling simply in our modern day terms would just mean respect. It would just mean that you show respect and appreciation. You don't constantly question and poke holes in their judgment. You're not always passive aggressive with them. He says, with a sincere heart. That literally means to be unwoven in your heart. I want you to think about your job right now. Um, Do you feel like when you're on the job, your heart, with all the demands your job might have, it just feels like it's being pulled, it's tied up. It's, It's tight. And it's being pulled in a bunch of different directions. Paul would say, it's to your blessing that you have an unwoven heart that's not in a bunch of directions. You are fully present in your work. You're not double minded, you're not half hearted you have integrity. Don't be like me in the year 2014 when I was obsessed with fantasy football on my phone and on Sunday mornings at Christ Community Church, I would go to use the restroom so that I could sit and check the lineup and make sure I had the right people starting and sitting, okay? That's a great example of no integrity. Do not be like Glenn. I had to repent of that. I have literally not played fantasy football since then. It was a problem. Okay, Um, don't be like me, okay? I had to repent of that. Don't be like me. The wisdom of God's word would say this, though. Just rife in the wisdom literature of your Bible is warnings against the sluggard, warning against the lazy, warnings against the slothful, and blessing and reward to the diligent, to the person who takes pride in their work, to the person who works hard, to the person who doesn't cut corners, who has a great work ethic. I want you to keep going with me. Pick it up uh, in verse six. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. He says, not by the way of eye service, not as people pleasers. Um, When I was doing pizza delivery, I worked at a, a joint in Derby, Kansas. It was called Pizza John's. Very original name right? Pizza, John's. No, the owner was not a fan of both Pizza Hut and Papa John's and he couldn't decide. He was just a guy named John who wanted to start a pizza joint. So when I got a job there as a senior, junior and senior, um, I tell you what, when, when the boss wasn't around, what would we do? Nothing. We would, we would perhaps dip some tobacco. We would make ourselves a little pizza. We'd stand in the back with our pop and our pizza and we'd eat and we'd talk and we'd shoot the breeze. But the moment that John walked in the door, boy, you have never seen high school and college age guys work harder. I mean, we were making boxes. We were refilling all the ingredients. We were making pizzas, working with the dough, putting them through, cutting them. The deliveries were going out fast. We were acting like we're sweaty, like, man, we're after it. This is not the way of a Christ follower. It's, it's not working your job just to please someone. It's not just for eye service, but it's truly having integrity. It's working just as much with character when the boss is not around as when the boss is. And then I want to look at verse 7. He says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Good will. 
speaks for itself. It's to have a good mind and a good aim. It's a positive attitude. It's believing the best in the work you're doing and it's believing the best in the people with whom you work. It's literally deciding to will other people's good on the job. And if you jump to verse eight, it says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Can we just be honest this morning? Um, there's a lot of stuff that we all do that nobody thanks us for. But you're a person in the room, you probably raise your hand and say, yeah, I do a lot of stuff at the job. Um, nobody's thanking me for it. I'm up early in the morning, putting in extra hours than other people. I'm up late at night, putting in extra hours. The quality of my work is better. I'm more detail-oriented. Some of you work at a faster pace with a better ethic than your co-workers. Some of you work on team projects. You have to cover for someone else. You thought that was going to be done in college. Nope, it keeps going. Uh, some of you, by the way, I'm not speaking about my personal work experience. Woo! Just want to make that clear. Uh, just hit me right in the moment. Wow, do they think that's what it's like to work with your staff? No, it's the opposite. Um, some of you, you have to fill in gaps. It feels like a disproportionate amount of work falls on you. And this is a text saying, child of God, Christian, God is the God who sees. He is El Roy. God is the God who is there. He is Jehovah Shammah. You may not get man's praise. A party may not be thrown for you. Some of you feel that. You may not be publicly recognized for your work, but that is not the measure or the substance of your work. Be encouraged today that your work is ultimately unto God. Just survey the text. Hopefully there's a slide behind me that'll show you this. Verse five, as you would Christ. Verse six, as bond servants of Christ. Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Verse 8, he will receive back from the Lord. The old prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he says it like this, grace makes us the servants of God while still we are the servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies, it makes holy the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in the light of heaven. Isn't that good? That brings so much substance to our work from the menial task that you do to something that you get applauded for. All of it has equal value in the eyes of God and is in service to him. And finally, the Apostle Paul is gonna take a turn in verse nine. Here's what he's gonna say. Masters, do the same to them. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. To those of you in the room here this morning who have a position of authority, you've got people working under you, you've got influence, you've got leadership, you're a coach, you're a teacher, whatever it might be, what would the word of God say to you? It would say, treat those people as you would want to be treated. 70% of people's engagement and employment in their job, excuse me, enjoyment in their job, is explicitly tied to who they point to and call manager. The data shows it. And the first thing that Paul would say in verse nine right here, so scandalous in just a few words, he says, masters, do the same to them. This would be a socially unacceptable 
instruction, to suggest that a master would view his slave, his house slave, as an equal. He's saying, no matter how much money you make, City Light Bennington, no matter your title, no matter how much success you have earned, no matter how much you've provided for your family, no matter the material wealth that you have, whatever it is, in God's economy, you are equal to your subordinates. There is no partiality with God. You are just as obligated to your employees as they are to you. It means that God has given you something to steward. You are in authority for a reason. So compensate them well. Listen to them. Care, uplift, encourage, respect. Did you know this? Everybody that you work with is a human being that is fighting real spiritual battles. Everybody that you work with is a human being that has their own weaknesses They have their own insecurities. They have their own shames. They're facing their own suffering. Listen, the people you oversee, whoever it is, they are not a project. They are not a product. They are not a quota. They are not a means to an end. They are an image bearer of God. Treat them as such. And you know what? Leading this way, working this way, is not just kind or Nebraska nice. It is a profound way of showing the gospel. It shows that you know Jesus. That you know the true capital M master in heaven. And can I just tell you about him, church? We just take a moment, a little Jesus 101. Jesus had all authority. God, supreme, creator and sustainer of all things. The highest amount of of authority that you could possibly have. All things created to him, through him, for him. There is no one with more supremacy and more authority than Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do with that authority? Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Your work serves God and it shares the gospel. Church, I want to ask you to take inventory of the most fundamental relationships in your life right now. Things in home, wives, husbands, children, parents, employee, employer. I want you to think about all those relationships right now. Everything that's addressed in in the first half of of chapter 6 in Ephesians. Let me talk to you right now and just remind you what Jesus has done for you. You are not, Christian, a person who has just gone from making bad decisions to good decisions. You're not a person this morning who's just going to go from maybe kind of being a little bit mean to some coworkers to somebody who now wants to modify their behavior and be a little bit nicer. You're not a person who's going from irreligion to religion The word of God would say that you were dead and you have been made alive. The word of God, the story of our lives is that every mom, every dad, every husband, every wife, every employer, every employee in this room who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior is that we were lost and that we have been found thanks to Jesus. We were spiritually dead and we've been made alive thanks to Jesus. Our hearts were sick and they have been healed thanks to Jesus. Our mind was darkened and now we know the truth thanks to 
Jesus. We were headed for wrath of God and now we're headed for glory thanks to Jesus. There has been a break deep within our soul from our old self, from our old sin nature by faith. And God's word would say we are a new creation. We have been born again all over again thanks to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the main character of our lives. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection is our hope. It is Jesus who reconciles us to God. It is Jesus who forgives us, who casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. It is Jesus who looks at us with all authority and he says there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus who makes us new and it is Jesus today. It is his spirit that dwells in us and lives through us and makes it so that people in our lives can experience his love and his service from us. This is why Paul describes all of these relationships before he even gets into them. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I don't know about you, but I love people the most. I give mercy and grace to people the most. I serve people the most. I value people the most when I am closest to the cross of Jesus Christ. Do we need to draw closer to the cross today? This is why Paul says in Philippians 2, 2 through 5, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And look at this last phrase, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Church, it's already ours. In Christ Jesus. Some of us right now, we read the instructions in these verses and we feel overwhelmed. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're like, I, I just literally cannot be faithful to this. I have too many things going on in my life. I want us to acknowledge something as a church right now. Some of us are believing in this moment a lie. And the lie is that there's going to be a time in your life coming soon where there is not trial. There's going to be a time in your life coming soon where everything will be at peace. There's going to be a time in your life coming soon, it's just around the corner where you won't have conflict anymore. There's going to be a time in your life where, where like, so, somehow you experience heaven on earth. And I'm here to tell you, heaven is for then. A part of life right now, a part of the human experience, is demands that we in our own strength and our own resources cannot meet if we're to follow Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit. Are you in a place in your life right now where you feel like the demands of life are much higher than what you have to give? I want you to know there is a God who loves you. There is a God who has unlimited resources. There is a God who is all-powerful. There is a God who loves the people in your life so much that he would want to fill you with his spirit and express his love to them through you. That's how willing God is to fill us with his spirit, to give us strength that we don't have. So I'm asking you right now, are you expecting the fruit of the spirit in your life without praying and asking God day by day for the filling of the spirit? Are you trying to achieve something from these instructions? Give me the do's and don'ts right here. 
Are you trying to achieve something without first saying, God, I need to receive something from heaven? That's going to be my prayer right now for our church. Would you join me? God, we are so blessed in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood applied to us. Thank you for resurrection life. Thank you that you give us your spirit and you say it's to your advantage that I go away. Spirit of God, thank you for being our helper. Thank you for being our comforter. God, I want to thank you for the ongoing friendship that you give to each one of us here. I want to thank you that you never, ever send us out to do life alone. You are always with us. You always see us. You care deeply about the details of our life. God, you care about our work. You care about the people in our home. You care about our children. You care about our parents. You care about our mom, our dad. You care about our wife. You care about our husband. God, help us. We pray with expectation to submit to one another out of reverence for you. Jesus, would you get all the glory through our church? And would the people of City Light Bennington and the people who represent Jesus Christ in this community be the best moms, the best dads, the best husbands, the best wives, the best employers, the best employees? Will we show and share the gospel as we live? It's in your name we pray. Amen.